Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We don't have to be fixed. I'm going to still tend to go blue. You're going to tend to go red. But when we're able to talk about it, and it's like, I can understand what's happening on your side. You can understand what's happening on my side. We might not be able to stop it yet. But that's already moving into secure functioning. That's a secure functioning dyad. It doesn't mean that those things have to go away. I want you all to feel really good. If you're making insights and if you're thinking of examples for yourself, you're able to talk about it between the parties, whoever the parties are. It's not just romantic relationships. That's already moving to the green in a secure functioning way. We don't have to become secure ourselves totally to have secure functioning relationships. And that's the good news. That's a really powerful statement. And there's one reason, and we're talking about what to do if you identify one of the things I really consider is therapy. We talk about that somebody living more on the narcissistic or grandiose side don't tend to come in unless they're sort of dragged in by the ears. But it, actually, if you identify with any any elements of that, the benefits are just outstanding. Hey, make us proud and go start therapy with how we started the session. <laughs> it will blow your therapist away. But, but actually, you, yeah. they won't think that you're that narcissistic if you start that way. That's true. That's true. They're going to they're gonna say, oh my God, you just saved me an entire year. This is Holding Your Own, a series from Therapist Uncensored that aims to deepen and broaden security when faced with challenging personalities. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, Ann Kelly. Hey, Sue Marriott. A person diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder comes into the first session and says, you know, it's been really bugging me. I don't like to do things for other people. If it's a inconvenience for me, I'm not interested. And I suspect that it's because I'm kind of super sensitive. And that's why I take it out on my partner and kind of blame and externalize. And, you know, I'd really like some help getting uh, a little bit more empathically aware And being able to do that in a reliable way, because in reality, I'm pretty selfish. What do you think? I think my heart rate would go up and I'd go, oh my God, this is awesome. But I would, (laughs) but I I think I would say that doesn't feel real. I would say, what's the catch? (laughs) I think this does not feel real. I would say that is a rare to never Never. occasion. I think that has never happened in the history of the human race. However, this is super cool. Many of our listeners have contacted us. We've gotten a lot of feedback about the course. Thank you. And one of the themes of the feedback is what I identify as a covert narcissist. I identify as borderline. I identify as grandiose. Like people very much have an ear for what if it's me that's the difficult person. And I love that. And I want to compliment everyone for that. I think it's wonderful. Our wrap-up session today, this is the sixth in a series of six We're going to try to do the takeaways and really pull things together, but we'll have it kind of in the context of if it's you. Now, if it's not you and if it's still your partner and that's what you're listening, it's easy translation. First of all, for those that have reached out, we just have an amazing listener base and said, you know what? I can recognize myself 
in this? What do I do if I do? Like just the fact that one can ask that question basically also means that there's so much great going on in you because the reason why that doesn't happen, especially if you have a really deep-seated narcissistic tendency is it's very threatening sometimes to slow down and take a look at ourselves. That's why we have these great things called defenses that come up and they protect us from self-reflection, but they also get in the way of so much. So if you have the ability to walk in and go, I think I'm self-centered. I think I, I see people in a way of what they can do for me rather than what I can give to them. And you can really recognize that in yourself. There's so much self-reflection going on. Yeah, I mean, by definition, it means you're not that narcissistic. Well, that is true. (laughs) You're you're probably, any of you that are struggling with this and seeing yourself in this and asking for help with it, like reaching out in that way, you're more secure than you think. Right. And uh, like Anne's saying, this is great because that's one of the big things is like first even being aware that there's a problem. Remember on some of the other episodes, we talked about where's the hope? And it has to do with, first, you have to even be aware it's a problem. Two, you've got to want to change it. And three, you've got to actively be working on actually making that change and not just kind of saying, yeah, I kind of wish that was different. But So we mentioned our community and how much we love our community and how smart and awesome they are. In particular, for this episode, we want to dedicate it to all of our patrons, our neuro nerd community that goes above and beyond by supporting us through patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored. You guys are awesome, and uh, we'll say more about that at the end, but this is specifically dedicated to you guys. So in the example that we started with, right, somebody walking in going, I think I'm struggling with narcissistic traits. Which, by the way, people don't ever come in and say, well, that's not true, That's not true, right? People will come in and say, like, I diagnose myself as borderline or... Right, yeah, right. Like, I think people do. I think, and, and, and I think. But not with this. Right. And often it doesn't start there, though. Right. Really, really, sometimes it's, we get there through the process of therapy. People will go, actually, I do think I struggle with that. Yeah, the more typical scenario is that someone drags someone by the ear into therapy to work on the relationship, which is good because it's through distress if you're narcissistic, you're, there's not a lot of distress. You're pretty happy, typically. And you're not aware of other people's distress around you. So by causing distress, relational distress, you know, that's where you can get some hope of like, oh, now they're motivated to make their marriage a little better. So regardless of the kind of narcissism that you have, there are some key features, not very well developed, that if we could just do those things, your relationship would probably improve, your relationships in general. And we've got the series, and if you haven't yet heard of them, feel free to go back and catch up. This might be more meaningful to you with that. But one of the things we do know is that empathy is present. There's a new study out that really looks at empathy and listening skills and things like that are very weak in people with high narcissism. So the question is, can they be learned? And this new study is very hopeful about that. And we will reference that, of course, in our show notes. But the gist of it was that if you give empathic prompts to people who score high on, not necessarily that are diagnosed with narcissism, but kind of subclinical, where they, you know, have a more self-oriented, low empathy characteristics, that simply by giving prompts, like take the other person's perspective in this video, in this example, And they were really able to up their empathy. And it was genuine because this was also measuring heart rate. So that's really cool. So what do you say, Anne, about this muscle that is not very well developed related to people that struggle with narcissism? I 
love the research that you're talking about because it's so often believed that you can't actually, if you don't have empathy and you're narcissistic, there's nothing you can do. And that actually isn't true. And that learning the steps of empathy is the start to actually integrating it inside you, right? You can't just all of a sudden turn an empathy button on, but by going through certain steps. And the biggest one is slowing down and wanting to develop empathy. That is something that I think individuals that come to the office that recognize traits in themselves will say that they really can struggle with empathy. I think that's the first one that I feel like people identify in themselves is the really hard time getting to know what other people are feeling and thinking. Right. And one of the techniques on that is that you've got to make it useful for the person who is low on it. Like it has to be a win-win. You can't just be like, you're not a very nice person. You really need to be more empathetic and that's not going to work. But your boss is giving you a really hard time with feedback around your peers. And I think the part that's missing is empathy. So if I could teach you a few of these things, it's going to really help you at your job and help you progress. That's an example of the win-win. So you have to go in their open door of what they want to get them to begin to take the other person's perspective, which again, depending on the severity, they're able to do when directed. Right. And actually knowing how important it is. The, one of the hardest things to the desire for empathy that somebody with narcissistic traits struggles with is the belief that the other person's being ridiculous or the other person, the reason you can't empathize is because they're so far off or they're a little inferior to you. And so why am I going to slow down and develop empathy when really what I feel is eye roll because whatever feelings are happening over there are just ridiculous. Because one of the difficulties with narcissism is actually tolerating emotions in other people. And so to teach empathy, you actually have to first start with recognizing in yourself that slowing down and having emotions is actually a really viable, positive thing. What is empathy? I like Judith Jordan's definition out of the Stone Center. Roughly, it's about, and this is a total paraphrase, but it's the experience of being able to take in another person verbally and non-verbally and understand what they're feeling and kind of be in their shoes while at the same time hanging onto yourself and being aware of what you're thinking and feeling too. And we can make either of those mistakes of losing ourselves and merging into the other person or like you're saying, not being interested in the other person's experience, even diminishing it because unconsciously it's threatening to me to let you have your feelings. Yeah, I love what you're saying, the unconscious part. We have to recognize the unconscious. So somebody struggling with narcissism might have a hard time listening to other people because one of the biggest fears in narcissism is loss of self. Mm -hmm. An exposure of self. An exposure of self. So if I slow down to listen, if I'm in my narcissistic experience and I'm slowing down to actually listen to somebody's feelings, I actually might feel some anxiety in that because if I really listen to you, I'm going to lose myself and my sense of self-importance. And that's some of the biggest struggle And if you slow down enough, you're going to actually feel anxiety. But because if we're struggling with narcissism, that's so uncomfortable, what happens is we increase the pace and what that comes out as impatience, dismissing, eye rolling. So if you recognize when you were listening to these episodes that you tend to eye roll, tend to feel impatient, tend to rush people, finish their sentences, part of that is because it's your discomfort. But what we do is we say, is that person being ridiculous? So I'm not going to learn empathy skills. I'm not even going to slow down this podcast and think I need to listen about learning empathy. If I stay in the state that says the other person 
is having unnecessarily feelings that are wasting my time. So let's start with that. If you're struggling, go wait. That other person's perspective is the most valuable thing that you can take in. And I love what you were saying earlier. It's valuing that other person's feelings while remembering you don't lose yourself to that experience. When you were talking about losing yourself, actually practicing empathy is a way to differentiate. It's not to get them to merge or fuse. So again, if you're nervous about like, wait a minute, if I slow down and understand, then I'm not going to get a chance to speak or my perspective goes away. The fact is that empathy actually really helps the person who's having more trouble with it differentiate and like notice that there's another person and another perspective, which is really great because that's part of the problem. They can become aware of their self-involvement. And it's like, oh, there is another perspective. And if I don't diminish it, if I don't say it's stupid, if I see it as, and this is, I, we're talking to you directly, if this is you that we're talking to, other people have legitimate points. <laughs> and you're wiser to slow down and get those points, not to lose your perspective, but actually it's a smarter, like let's say you're gonna be a leader, it's way smarter to figure out what's going on and other, what other people are seeing than to just run off on your own and expect people to follow you. Yeah, that's a great point. And one of the reasons why it can be threatening to actually listen to other people's perspective when you struggle with narcissism is that that perspective may involve some air of feeling like you've done something wrong or that they have a feeling about you that is negative. And if that is a really hard thing to tolerate in you, there's a loss of self. I like to be able to say, you are worthy enough to screw up and to have other people be upset with you. If you can't tolerate that, there's this part of you that's actually fearing your own worthiness and not recognizing it. You're valued not for what you produce, not because you're the smartest or you're the best looking person in the room. Like you just have inherent value, period. Again, one of the ways is that we want to increase safety around, you know, everybody involved, because then everybody's defenses can come down a little bit. And maybe and one way to do that is let's go through the four steps really, of what listening and empathy looks like, if that's okay. I know it'll sound basic on one level. Well, actually, before we do that, it does sound basic. But this is for all of us, right? We're talking about if you're struggling with narcissism, which we are all can struggle with elements of it. But we all can struggle with listening. And sometimes like, like you can be right in the middle of something and realize somebody's been speaking and you haven't slowed down enough. You can repeat back the words, but that doesn't mean you're listening. So as we go through these steps, remember, this is good for all of us. Oh, totally. Like, you know, the first step, this is going to sound silly, but it's listen. <laughs> so, um, but why that that's funny is because I can literally sometimes when I'm in my own self-centeredness, like... It, it really is a emotional shift change to go from like, I have stuff to say or, you know, being in self-involved in my own thoughts to, oh, I'm going to actually tune into you. So first it's making that shift state to, okay, I'm going to receive and so much so that I want to be able to say back to you what you said accurately. So I don't manipulate it and I don't twist it around and I don't shut it down. Right. So it's kind of making the decision to listen is the most important step. And that is an active decision. So wait, 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 I'm going to slow my brain down and start with eye contact and go, I'm actually really going to listen. That right. is one of the biggest And steps. the recap. So like, let's say you began to complain about my mother coming or something like that. And you have a legitimate complaint, like she stays for six months or whatever the thing is, right? 
So if I'm recapping to you saying like, you're complaining about my mother again, that's not listening. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so heard. (laughs) So your mother has stayed. It's really hard on me. It really is. When your mom comes, she stays for so long. That is so hard. All right. So take a deep breath. That is the most important step. Hear what she's actually saying. She's not saying that my mother is horrible. She's not saying that I'm insensitive because, you know, all the things that I might feel, this this really gets into the covert narcissism too. So you've had to recognize, you, you notice she took a breath, if you could see her, just even in this play acting this, you know, she can feel the tension building. And just that moment's breath for most of us would change our relationships to not react, but respond. So to take a breath and go, okay, what is she actually saying? Yeah. And, you know, just to add a layer of complexity, that's a bad example because I've lost my mom in the last year. Oh, that's <laughs> so, true. so that part of my pause was like, ugh. but so say your complaint again. I'm sorry. Now we've said so much. Oh, actually, that's actually a, a, another listening skill is you ask clarifying questions and you get them to say more. So can you say it again? I'm so anxious because when your mom comes, it's really hard. It's not that I don't love her. It's just that she stays for six weeks, six months. It's really hard. You're not upset with my mom and it's not that you don't like her, but it's hard on you when she comes and stays for so long. Like what, what's the worst part for you? What's hard for you? I have to feel on. Like I have to feel like I can't just relax because I fear she's going to like, I have to be on all the time. And that's really hard because it's your mom, not mine. And so you know, that's, I'm worried about what she thinks and feels all the time. All right. So we've done the listening actively. We've captured it. We've asked questions. That's the second part so that we understand. So I'm going to say back to her. So for you, it's more about, you know, because I know you're super social and you're such a good caretaker that when she's around, it's really hard for you to relax and you just always have to be on. And you know, it's true. She's not very, she doesn't do a lot she didn't carry a lot of that emotional weight or conversation and stuff. So I could see really sucks energy. That's, I could really see that to be true. Okay. So out of the the role play for a second, that was perfect. And I can feel my body relax. And now my temptation, I'm going to make it harder. Good. Because that's going to be more real. It's like, yeah, yeah, not only that, but you, you just disappear. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm the one totally responsible for her, not you. You're over there working in your office. You're not paying any attention because I need to bring some criticism out. Otherwise it's, you know, so you're, you're just, you don't do your share. I feel like I, I completely lose you. All right. So everybody just take your breath. See, see what you think. See what you feel. What would you say? So you're afraid that when my mom comes, And what you're really concerned about is, one, that you have to always be on, but then also, not only do you have to be on, but you're going to lose me because I'm going to disappear. Absolutely. Yeah. And and the temptation, of course, for most of us receiving that is what we feel, and that's defensive, mm -hmm. right? We have to contain the fact that what starts is, are you kidding me? You know, like the defense, because I've just thrown one, and to listen first and repeat it back and like this is what you're upset you notice that sue didn't actually defend herself yet that doesn't mean that she actually believes everything i'm saying right she doesn't believe she only disappears into work it just but by hearing me in that my heart rate's already gone down Mm -hmm. right and the thing that's really important and 
especially for when we are in our traits of narcissism, is the first thing that comes to our mind. What is the first word that we want to say once we empathetically listen? And that's but. And if we can invite you to take any one word out of your vocabulary, it's the but. (laughs) Don't but me. You might and me, but don't but me. (laughs) And that's a real difficult part, especially if we we struggle with covert or grandiose narcissism, is we want to defend self, defend self, defend self. We've recapped what you said in a way that you agreed with. We asked more, right? So now like responding with empathy would look like and validation. There's another acronym actually that might be easier to hear. It's it's called, we made this up, but it's CAVA, C-A-V-A, which I think means wine, does it not? I don't know. <laughs> which is perfect if it does. But then we want to do clarifying questions. So clarify what the message is. We want to affirm what the message is. We want to validate their perspective. And then perhaps if it's appropriate, then we do a genuine apology. So Kava is clarify, affirm, validate, apologize. For those of you that like that sort of stuff. So right now, so we're empathizing. We want to empathize and express compassions. And when you actually, like, as you've affirmed, even in this completely hypothetical situation that's not happened, I can already just feel my body come down by being affirmed. And what is wonderful about affirming somebody, and when you struggle with narcissism, one thing happens is it feels like a win-lose. You get caught in win-lose. So if she's affirming my perspective, it could feel like she's actually losing her own sense of self. But actually, that's not true. As she affirms it, actually what starts happening is I start thinking of all the ways that actually my expression is not actually quite accurate. It's already happened because she's affirmed to me. The goal is lowering someone's defense. And when we feel less defensive, we feel so much more open. Actually, that's one of the signs. So we're doing four different steps. I mean, two sets of four at the same time, depending on what you like. So we already talked about the kava. The other one where we listen actively, ask questions, respond empathically. And then when we do that enough and we give enough soothing, what Anne's talking about happens. There's some release. Instead of just saying, well, I'm sorry, you know, first of all, it's not an apology, but also it's not soothing. And what I want to do is co-regulate her. So again, I might add to it and say, you know, Anne, I totally get your point. Last year when she came, I really bailed because I couldn't stand to be around her and you were the one that was on. And so I just started working all the time and it makes a lot of sense to me that you would be nervous about her coming. And not only did she do that, she kept changing the date she was leaving. And neither one of us knew what was going on. And I kind of ducked. And I'm sorry about that. I know why I did it, but it's really good that we're talking about it ahead of time. I think that's such an important step. See, that already feel all relaxed. Now your mom can move <laughs> Okay, wait, wait, wait. So that was the fourth one where that we, I, you say enough and validate and affirm and ask questions and make sure and it was genuine like what I wasn't just like head padding that you get that release and that's what just Mm -hmm. happened I mean her hands on her heart right now actually so it worked absolutely it that part of genuine I'm sorry rather than the superficial I'm sorry but I'm sorry but and that is one of the biggest signs that for any of us that we're in a highly defended state and we're in narcissism we stay in that defensive state kind of perpetually and that's the, I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, but that's your issue. Like I didn't ask you though. So somebody in a more narcissistic or more defended state likely would probably respond with, well, I didn't ask you to do all that. That was your choice, right? Because the narcissism may lead to self-protection. And so if you're able to take care of yourself so well and disconnect from others, you can shame the other person. Like I didn't ask you to do all that. So what about covert narcissism? Let's dig in a little bit more with that. 
the idea of the covert is really, really important because in covert narcissism, you've often learned to deal in this covert way to get your needs met. That's what covert narcissism is about. Like you, we all have needs, need for attention, need for validation. The grandiose narcissist gets caught in the need for overt validation constantly. Covert has a hard time identifying, I even have a need. And first is to start with a compassion that likely you developed all these covert ways to get your own value and attention met. And so the most important part is to recognize what is the need that you're trying to covertly get. Right, because what it looks like and feels like on the outside is, I think if we kind of boil it down, like we did with narcissism in general, we focus on empathy and on listening. And in this, let's talk about passive aggressiveness. Right. Because that's going to be a hallmark. So let's say I haven't been rewarded or taught as a kid to even know what I want and feel, much less be able to you know, advocate for it. And to believe that I can really have it met. Exactly. Also means that I can't set a boundary. So Anne might ask me to do something and I'll go, yeah, okay. So that's like a compliance, but I have no intention to do it at all. But I'm not going to be able to say, you know, my plate's full. Like I can't negotiate the boundary. So I might overcommit and be compliant, or I might do it in a really crappy way. So she doesn't ask me to do it again. (laughs) That would be a form of passive aggressiveness. Or the, how about the backhanded compliment? The example that came to mind for me is a parent with kids that struggles with covert narcissism. And that is coming downstairs, the kids are laying, watching TV. A a covert narcissist may feel very charged up by that. But rather than feeling validated that they could set that boundary in need, might A, feel victimized. They do all the work. Oh my gosh, nobody thinks of me. So there's that that I'm especially affronted and not taken care of. So the passive aggressive could be, of course you guys aren't doing what I ask you to do. You know, I'd really love for y'all to have cleaned the house, but of course you're not going to do that. So you can feel what's so important in that statement is the aggression, isn't it? You can feel the aggression, but it's not named directly. Right. And what it does, if you're not prepared for it, is it sort of injects shame or guilt or these other feelings that the person who's saying it doesn't want to feel and it also evokes aggression like the kids getting up to do it aren't going to feel good right right so can you give the example you walk down the stairs they're laying around they're supposed to have gotten things cleaned up by x time and it's not and then the passive aggressive statement comes out and then you can imagine where the kids feel they feel aggression they right but what's the not passive aggressive statement so the the not passive aggressive statement is you come down and you really assert your boundaries in your experience. And that would be, I need you guys to turn the TV off. I feel upset that I gave you guys assignment and you didn't follow through. I'm feeling upset. I need you to turn the TV off. So listen to the account. What she's doing is she's holding them accountable. She's not being a doormat. She's not going to not say something, but she's also not going to fly off the handle. She's not going to say it indirectly. It's just a very direct. She's upset because they agreed to do this thing that they didn't do. There's no shame in that. Right. And I've identified that I'm upset. So the key of the passive aggressive that makes it crazy making for the other person is the denial of your own upsetness. I'm not upset. I didn't, you know. Right. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Right. And I just said, I'm upset with you. Yes. Now, let me be super clear. That is not always how I handle my parenting. (laughs) 
Like, no, we're making up these examples. <laughs> like, I, I don't want to be out there and like, yes, we're going to walk around in this perfectly grounded way, right? So I think what's really important, and so we all have tendencies to do this, is like, though, if you really identify with covert narcissism, to remind yourself, and this can also be if you identify with borderline traits, is that to be able to own your own aggression and your own boundaries can be really hard. It is not the easiest thing. And that's why we've developed these strategies. It's, it can be terrifying, actually. Absolutely. If you struggle with borderline traits, to be able to think that you can identify anger and hold yourself in it rather than it hijack your entire body, that is tough. And we can all struggle with that. Like, even in that example, the reason I laugh is that, like, that is really hard for me, right? Like if I've worked my butt off all day and I come home and I've asked a request and it's not done, I do feel offended. Like I do feel put out. I do feel all those things that we talk about. I think where it might distinguish that from really deeper covert narcissism traits is I often don't live there, but I do visit, right? And and I think- word that you feel done to. I feel done to. Right. Yes. Like right. that feels, I can't believe, right, that they- You guys would treat me this way. Look at me. Yeah. And I can feel done to, right? And so we all fall into that. So we can identify with that. I cannot believe I gave, and, and I really can't believe that, like, which is hysterical if I stop to think of myself as an adolescent, but like, really? Y'all didn't get up and do what I asked you to do? <laughs> and so I- but that feeling of being victimized and done to and not seen, let's slow down and feel that. That is really a powerful feeling. And when you grew up not feeling seen and not feeling like somebody had your back and that you had to really emotionally stand out to get it, it's really hard not to live there and to be there all the time. And that's really important. And one of the other themes of the questions that we got was about parents. What if you were raised by somebody with some of these difficult characteristics? And so we're going to try to weave that in as much as we can. But that is such a big topic because it goes about like the effect of that on a child right. and then how that looks. But most of you, if you are identifying with this, probably you were raised with somebody that had some of these difficulties. You might recognize that would be the biggest guess. My passive aggressive, you know, like if we go back to that that child, like you're like, I wanted you to do this, but of course you wouldn't have done that. Think about the feeling that brings up in the child. Oh, I have a, an example. Okay. <laughs> Jump in. This is a real example, actually, that there was one Mother's Day and I was pretty young. You know, I had siblings. We were all pretty young. And it was still at the time when usually the other parent should help the kids on our Mother's Day. But in this case, my dad did not do that. And so my mom wakes up and there's not a Mother's Day thing going on. And I mean, this is seared in my memory because she went outside and she starts like mowing the lawn. She just started working and doing all these things, obviously upset, but not saying what it was. And ultimately it comes out that she's like, I'm just going to do everything. I'm just, I'm not, you know, the um, martyr. Part. I am not right. Right. And, you know, we're feeling like one inch tall. We know we've done something wrong. And I remember that we... Did y'all remember that it was Mother's Day at that I point or not? I don't know, but I do remember that she ended up getting a cutting board. And she kept that cutting board. And every time I saw that cutting board, I would feel embarrassed, like ashamed, because it was just this dinky little cutting board and kind of representing like, take more care of it. I don't know. We like you guys gave her a cutting board we eventually? We gave her a cutting board eventually. And and it, it none of it went well. And so uh, this is just an example of like how much that affected me that I can tell you this, that I sure didn't re forget Mother's Day after that. <laughs> but I think that I'm so scared of doing that that I actually think like 
my kids aren't great necessarily, some of them are, but at doing stuff like that, because I don't want them to feel obligated. You know, it's all this confusing thing. But more to the point is that I sure did feel the punishment, but it wasn't, she didn't say, sit down and do the ABCs, which is what you just did. You know, like identifying the affect, saying the behavior, asking for what you need, the change. So if you notice in your earlier example, you said you were upset, and this is what happened, and this is what you would like them to do. That's the example that you should do. And so in this case, just to wrap the example up, what should my mom have said to us? First, the, the step would be to recognize in her own implicit yeah. experience and, her are hurt. and that her yeah. feelings are hurt. and Which they should have been. <laughs> which they should have been. They should have been. And probably she had some feelings about your dad not doing a thing. Of course. Right? Right. Yeah. So I think the first step is to recognize, and this is the first step, no matter where we fall on this process is taking a moment to recognize our own experience. So if you're out there mowing the lawn and feeling like a martyr, right, which we've all done as a parent. Totally. Like most of us, I know I have. That to go, wait, I'm doing this because what do I feel and what am I trying to make the other person feel? So for being a martyr, right, if we're in that experience of a martyr, A, we're feeling not seen and not taken care of. And then what we're trying to do is make sure other people see how much we've suffered. So what we're really actually needing that experience is to be seen and cared for and to, to let the other person know. So with that case. Yeah, what's, yeah to be the, that's an important part of it is to have the ask the or to ask. have the change. So go ahead. So because you want it to end to be in a win-win. Right. So to come back in, because maybe we've started mowing the lawn as a martyr and then we go, okay, wait, what am I really feeling? Right. Slowing down and kind of coming back in and say, hey, you guys, I need to let you know my feelings are a little hurt. Today is Mother's Day, right? It's the one day of a year devoted to me. <laughs> to be a mother, right? <laughs> but if you throw that in right then, it might be jamming. The <laughs> one day, I do so much for you, right? So that's our temptation as a parent. We probably all, look at all I do for you, right? That doesn't work. And so, you can't acknowledge me on the one day. I mean, you know, you can <laughs> totally hear it. <laughs> so basically coming back and like, look, I really know when I slow down that you guys love me <laughs> and I love you. Hey, this is PhD level. You know, that is like super high level jitsu. <laughs> okay, you want me to bring it down? Bring it down to like okay, real life. Okay, bring it down. Bring it down. So you guys, my feelings are hurt. Today is Mother's Day and my feelings are really hurt because I was hoping that you guys would see that and do something for me today. So I have to let you know my feelings are a little hurt. And, and of course, there, it depends on what an, age. And is there an ask? It like, depends on what age, right? Right, because here's the thing. If we leave it at that, then we're going to feel crappy. Right. And we're going to stay feeling crappy because all we've done, like there's no, how do we resolve this? So we, so wanted, we definitely want to add the ask. We want it to be a win-win. So my guess is one is to tune into how the kids respond. And you say, you guys, how about this? Do you think we could have a reset button? And what I would really mean a lot to me is if you guys could... Yeah, make me a card. Yeah. Right. Could you slow down and make me a card? It would really mean a lot to me if, I love those statements, if you guys, because at now, if they do something, it's meaningful rather than they're just trying to get around my shame and martyrism. So now you've given the children something to hang on. It would mean a lot to me if you guys could get up and make some breakfast for me and write a card. That would be really meaningful to me. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's really well said. And I could totally, like the reset is another one that I really like. I like you keying on uncertain terms. 
Now, if you're, let's just really quickly, because I also want to move on to borderline soon. But if you are the person who is getting this, so right now we're in the body of the person who's feeling done to, this is under the umbrella of covert narcissism, which is under the umbrella of narcissism in general. Like if you're the child, but let's say, okay, now I'm the father, right, who screwed up and didn't do this thing. And my wife is out there doing these things. So let's take the father's perspective of how to handle the indirect aggression. So the indirect aggression, like the father's perspective of the mom out there right. doing the lawn And mowing. he realizes, oh shit, by her indirect right. aggression, he notices that he's screwed up. Well, and what I love in this example is that the mom's out there still being a martyr in covert and the aggression's there, right? And with that indirectness, it's a lose-lose. So what one could do is the father is to come out and say, hey, could you slow down for a second? Right. And actually, just to make this example a little bit more realistic, I think, is so that it's more directed at the father. It's not just that she's made herself invisible out outside, but let's say she comes in and is being angry towards him indirectly, maybe a door slam. Sarcasm is a big one. So she's treating him badly in this indirect way. And maybe he would say, you know, are you mad? I'm not mad. Right. Well, I love what you're saying is going to be a really direct request of what the covert is. And as we're talking about this, this may feel really familiar to a lot of people because what can often happen, let me talk about what we can often happen, is that we get controlled by that. And the father often gets the kids to run around to try to make up in order to calm the mother down. And that is how we get taught this covert responsiveness, right? And so That's now- That's a great, great point that actually, if we don't undo this, it works in a way. It, yes, it can really, really work. And now what we're doing is we're seeing the mom in all of these unconscious, you know, all subconscious, unconscious, or very conscious ways of expression, aggression. And now we're running around trying to make her happy in order to avoid the aggression. You could feel how that can develop an implicit memory. Right in our bodies of how to handle aggression. And it maintains her feeling of being a good mother who's not angry, which nice mothers don't do. Right. So now, yeah, now all of a sudden magically people are running around and cleaning the house and making a card. And and guess what? It doesn't even feel that good when you get the card. Right, right, right. No, it's, a, it's a, such a lose-lose, right? And it maintains, see, I'm a good mother because I, I love what you said. I didn't come back and say I'm angry at you. And lo and behold, now I'm having a good Mother's Day, but and, I never let anybody know I was angry. Right, and you didn't really want that card. You were only doing that because you felt guilty. That's the outcome, isn't it? Right. So when dealing with passive aggressiveness, one of the things we want to really do is first get a hold of yourself first. So that's why you're not running around trying to avoid that and, yeah, and being egg, afraid. This is, the, this is the step down on the eggshells that are emerging under your feet. <laughs> yes. Crack the eggshells. Don't walk around on the eggshells. I love that. You walk in and get a hold of yourself and then identify what you're seeing. I'm seeing you look as if you're upset. Are you upset? No, I'm not upset. I'm fine. I'm feeling a lot of aggression from you. You seem upset. Can you tell me what's going on? See, I don't think this is great to do this live because it shows like we're figuring it out too, right? But see, I don't think that would work because it's so confrontive. Like it feels threatening to me for you to call it out as aggression. Oh, good point. And I'm not giving you any kind of... There's no support and it's just like you're being a bitch. And I'm not giving you any kind of pass. And in this case, this is a nice mom who can't be aggressive. So there's no way she's going to catch that ball and go, you know, you're right. I'm being aggressive. I don't think that's going to really happen. 
No, I think you're right. If it's too confrontive, depending on, especially if there's a long history of this covertness. And with narcissism, we do have to help them save face. Right. And that's not us being on eggshells. It's just us being smart. (laughs) Because if the more they're threatened, the more they're going to, you know, defend up. So I think identifying with and for them in a face-saving way is a really good point. So the approach is, it seems like you're upset. I can understand that. Right. And realizing that it's Mother's Day. Yes. And the kids are not doing anything. I can understand. It yeah. seems like you're upset. Or you you must be so disappointed. Right. Identifying what you can see, but calling it out, but not in a confrontational way, but actually identifying it for them and then going on. Like, it seems like you're upset. It's Mother's Day. I could imagine that must be disappointing for you. Yeah. You do so much for this family and we can't even get it together to recognize you right in the morning, you know. Right. And so then identifying, I missed that, didn't I? It's not just you're upset at the kids. So I imagine you must be a little upset at me. So we're helping the mom identify and actually give permission to her for being disappointed and upset. Right. But but we can also add, now we've moved away from my family because they would never be able to do any of this. But, (laughs) (laughs) But in this case, he could also say, I really wish you would have told me earlier. You know, you've been out there for, it took me a long time to figure it out. And it would be okay if you just came and said, you know, what you needed. I, I really want that. I want to hear when I screw up. Yeah, I might wait till after Mother's Day is over to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess what I'm trying to get to is the ask, yes. right? No, you're right. Like no. there is a way out of this instead of just like you were acting indirectly and like a horrible person. It's more, you know, I invite you to, you get to say it. You get to say right. that stuff. It's okay. And actually that's a really important step because you don't want to just over especially in covert and passive aggressive behaviors, we tend to overfunction for the other person. And so we could easily overfunction in this element of, I know you're mad and here's the answer and you're not asking anything of the other person. So in your example, it's great because you're saying, you actually could have mentioned it to me. I wish you would, you can let me know. So you're, you're yeah, actually, you know, I'm really bad at this or. Right. But you're asking her to name it rather than just doing it all for her. And then you can say, Hey, how can we turn this around? Again, love the reset. How do we hit a reset? Why don't you let us hit a reset button? And a lot of these things apply to any of these difficult personality traits where that regulation is an issue. And so let's call borderline Right now, when somebody struggles with the overreactivity, it's not the isolation, it's not the self-involvement, it's like having trouble holding on to yourself and getting really focused on the other person. So when you're in that place, do you mind shifting into that? No, that's a great place because it's okay. a similar it's a similar dynamic. No matter which one, we're talking about regulation, self-regulation, other regulation, emotional regulation. And when we struggle with borderline features or experiences, that dysregulation and it just hijacks your whole body, doesn't it? To to feel that somebody hasn't seen you or it's hurt you, there's this experience of complete dysregulation that hijacks your ability yeah, to have betrayal. rational. It does. It hijacks your body, and it, I like the word hijacks. It like takes over and against your will, even like you might know that you don't want to be slamming that door or punching that wall or self harm or whatever but it's too big and it doesn't feel like there's any other option. The way we talked about it before is like there's no history, there's no past. And there's a sense of desperation. I think that is what is an urgency and a sense of desperation. And often that desperation when we struggle with borderline traits is this fear of being separate from or alone or rejected. And so when our body's hijacked, we're actually panicked. 
we're in a panic state. And so we have to express, we have to reach out, we have to act really impulsively, really fast. And it's actually a panic state. So one of the suggestions in that experience is to really tell yourself, hey, wait, 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 I'm fine. I'm really fine. When you said it before to me, Anne, it was felt really powerful. Like it was an instruction, right? Right. For some reason right then, like, because I love it. It's like if, if somebody could really actually stop and like record scratch, it's like, hold on a second. Well, let me I'm give you a real fine. example. Let me yeah. give you a real example. Like you and I fighting. That never happens. <laughs> <laughs> so in a state of super big anger, right? Because what we're talking about is that we all hit these states of dysregulation where our body gets hijacked. <laughs> so I'm going to use an, I'm, I'm so angry right? And I can feel the panic and uh, there's a sense of urgency. I got to resolve this. You have to understand right now. And there's this panic moment. If we don't get this resolved, I'm going to stomp outside and let you know my side. Right, um, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you because you need to understand when we're in this borderline experience in that moment is the panic. Or let's just call it like a, a dysregulated, not a, a dysregulated. Yes, yeah. yes. It's really good, good repair in that. Really, when we're in this hijacked, dysregulated state. There really is a belief in that pressure that if we don't get it and we can, and slow down right now and just imagine yourself in that state, right? You can feel the pressure inside you and you feel the urgency. Yeah, I think urgency is a really good word. There's an urgency. So if we can slow down and go, take a breath and go, I am fine. I am fine. I am fine. I am fine. And the reason why I'm suggesting the I'm... I like it, I like it. Is it, it's a reminder about me. Uh, it's a reminder that I am separate it from... It even reminds you that you exist. Exactly. Right. But I love it because what you exist in a way that you are okay. You're going to be okay no matter how this fight turns out. That's a really great statement. It's not that I'm fine in this dismissing way. I don't need you, right? Because that also can be an element. But it's interesting though, because you are, because since since we're over one direction, you are using techniques from the other side. So actually dismissing some of that is not not a terrible thing, right? Really good point. I'm fine and like getting like bolstered really does actually pull you more to a more secure place. And it's reminding you because when we're in that dysregulated state and we believe that we have to have the other person see this for us to be okay, or we have to have the other person validate us in that moment, or we're just going to explode. That's not reality. So it's just As a matter of fact, it's that's when you're least effective. And so another thing when I come <laughs> you think when I stomp outside and go, <laughs> <laughs> we've talked before about like, or both of our tendencies and you know I'll go into my turtle shell and she'll be banging on the turtle shell <laughs> so so it's not effective and so part of it's like to take yourself so seriously it's like you're upset for a real reason like it really matters and if we can get you off the ceiling where that that urgency is not there and you're aware that you're fine that is so much more powerful and then whatever it is you're upset about what you have to say is going to be there's so much better of a chance that the person can catch it and hear it because you're taking yourself seriously. You don't need sirens to say what you have to say. As a matter of fact, when you slow down and you say them in a measured way and a mindful, thoughtful way, maybe then, maybe later, no urgency, that is a home run. Like, don't throw away your power. Right, it's so empowering to go, I'm fine, I'm fine, and maybe- I mean it. And, and even you can even, like sometimes it's hard to hold, to visualize, imagine in your body right now, visualizing kind of an anchor going through your body and all the way to the ground and feel yourself feeling grounded and saying, 
I am fine. I am fine. This is just a moment. That's right. And then we could also add some of the self-compassion stuff, which is anybody would be upset about whatever just happened. (laughs) Like, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. I have a point. Anybody in the circumstance would be upset in the way, you know, would have just yelled or whatever we did so that it's, we're not a bad person. Like it's very difficult to fight and with close people and it's scary and it's okay to panic. I wasn't a panic. That's okay. I'm not now. So that you're really talking yourself through, which all points to the, I'm fine. And you might not need all that self-compassion to get there, but I just want to throw that in. No, and the the element of anybody would be. That's right. Right. And, and that's, then, now you're giving yourself validation. You don't need to chase me down and get the validation because you're actually being able to really believe it for yourself. Right. Which is going to give you that air around you to be more thoughtful and mindful about next responses. And that mindfulness when we're in that hyper dysregulated state is what actually calms our nervous system and getting in the moment, right? The pressure to go out the door and rush, we're not actually in the moment, we're in the next, we're fixing it, right? So what we're gonna work on is just really actually calming our center. And another way to do that is also through imagery. And I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. We might also go, okay, wait, I'm gonna imagine myself having this conversation about what I'm upset about in a calm, very powerful and assertive way. And so I'm gonna let myself imagine now, instead of stomping out and feel that, immediate rush of self-satisfaction because when we get to come out and yell there's immediate rush of self-satisfaction it's just going to implode on us if we imagine ourselves actually coming out and sitting down and being in a calm state so now you're outside i'm going to come to you and instead of and i'm outside self-regulating okay (laughs) (laughs) that's good point good point so nature trees breeze (laughs) very effective (laughs) so i'm gonna come out so but if i visualize if i let myself visualize myself feeling powerful and valuable to myself and then i'm gonna remember you and remember this is not everything this is just a moment so to hold the relationship in a holder in a bigger moment So just taking that time, and this is just one example, we could do five episodes on this one dynamic, so we'll move on, but it's just a remembrance of yourself. Remember the continuum, some of you are longtime listeners and know the red and the blue and the green, red being the hyperactivation, that if you just think of it just real simply, if you're overly focused externally and you really need to get somebody to understand something, pull in, get the focus on you. If you're over here on the blue side and you're all inside yourself and self-regulating, if I'm out there meditating with the birds, at some point, I need to pull myself back into relationship. And start thinking about what's happened. Because what that's can right. happen in conflict is that the person that's heightened is all preoccupied with thinking about the fight and what's happened. The person that falls on the blue is over there kind of disconnected and they're not even thinking about the person, which can be so inciting yeah to the other person because you've just moved on and you're just sitting in this self-satisfied way, especially this dismissing, oh my God, she's so dysregulated and like in a dismissing experience, it really intensifies and exacerbates. So the person on the blue side has to be able to regulate and then realize to come up. And here's another thing that is, I think is really important is especially those of you that are identifying some of this, relating to it, we don't have to be fixed. I'm going to still tend to go blue. You're going to tend to go red. But when we're able to talk about it and it's like, I can understand what's happening on your side. You can understand what's happening on my side. We might not be able to stop it yet, Mm 
but that's already moving into secure functioning. That's a secure functioning dyad. It doesn't mean that those things have to go away. I want you all to feel really good. If you're making insights and if you're thinking of examples for yourself, you're able to talk about it between the parties, whoever the parties are. It's not just romantic relationships. That's already moving to the green in a secure functioning way. We don't have to become secure ourselves totally to have secure functioning relationships. And that's the good news. That's a really powerful statement. And there's one reason, and we're talking about what to do if you identify one of the things I really consider is therapy. We talk about that somebody living more on the narcissistic or grandiose side don't tend to come in unless they're sort of dragged in by the ears. But it, actually, if you identify with any any elements of that, the benefits are just outstanding. Hey, make us proud and go start therapy with how we started the session. <laughs> it will blow your therapist away. But, but actually, you, yeah. they won't think that you're that narcissistic if you start that way. That's true. That's true. They're going to they're gonna say, oh my God, you just saved me an entire year of work with you. But getting therapy to go, I tend, I'm recognizing this and I tend to fall over here. I disconnect and I don't even think about my partner when I'm mad. I'm just like gone. And, and then when I come back, I'm fine. I don't know why he or she is making such a big deal of it because I'm fine. I want you to recognize, actually, you're not. One is fine and the other has to realize they're not. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> If you're the one that's always fine and everybody else is ridiculous and overreacting, can we talk about that for a minute? I know we're going to have to wrap, but I really want to get back to that one aspect. Sure. Because the idea that if you're recognizing that you frequently see everybody else as a ridiculous overreactor and that if they would just get a grip, we would all be good, right? That does fall on the more narcissistic cutoff side, right? And you mentioned self-compassion. And I want to come back to that. In fact, we have a great episode by Kristen Neff that if you haven't listened to it, I can't remember what. You can go to the website and there's a search box and you can just put in her name. If you're listening and you recognize you have grandiose narcissistic traits, more power to you that you're here. I'm so impressed, right? That you want to listen and learn more. One of the things you have to learn is self-compassion. And you brought this up because self-compassion isn't, oh my God, it is, I have compassion because I'm having to deal with this other person so much. And that if if you are having self-compassion because you are the martyr who works so hard. (laughs) That's not (laughs) self-compassion. And does so much for other people and nobody gets you, right? That is actually not (laughs) self-compassion. So we're going to talk about self-compassion right here because it's a great intervention. And what Kristen Neff identifies as self-compassion, one is the ability to to slow down and be mindful. It's self-kindness. Self-kindness is actually not being kind to yourself at the other person's expense. But the one you're going to struggle with the most is the concept of humanness. So you can't have self-compassion if you can't see common humanity. So what I'm saying to you is if you're over there, the long suffering dealing with everybody else's ineptness, you're not in touch with your own humanity and your own vulnerability and your own individual struggles. And that is what you want to go into therapy to be in touch with. And so I have a challenge that I want to give. And that is, I want you to take the time if you're struggling with that and go, okay, I need my common humanity. Over there, they're so ridiculous. What are your three most common strengths? And I want you to think about the flip side of that. What is the sucky part of that strength for other people? I want you to get in touch with your humanity that is your vulnerability that other people have to deal with in you. 
And if you can't answer that question, you need help. And go to a therapist to say, I actually don't know what my weaknesses are. Because you're like, Or just ask close people around you. Good point. But listen. And actually listen and take it in. What is the hardest part? If you can of go living to, with me. Of right. living with me, being friends with me. That's right. Being my, yeah, maybe my, my child. Maybe my son or whatever. If you can ask people, what is the hardest part? And really listen. I can say that the thing that's the most powerful part of that is if you really can get in touch with that, the level of connections you're going to have, because what the sadness, saddest part about narcissism or about when we struggle with these difficult traits is the disconnection we actually live in and we don't know it because it's a cat toy to think that your identity needs to be built on everybody's seeing you as a wonderful achieved person or the biggest martyr in the room. That is just, it's never satisfying. What's satisfying is the meaningful connections. And the only way to have that is to know your own vulnerabilities and to be okay with that, to integrate that part in who you are not are. It's not to tell me what is the worst part of me so I can go fix it. And now I can be the best. No, it's like, what's the worst part of me so I can integrate it and relate to you and go, ow, that is hard on me, isn't it? Hard for you. That's what I was just going to say is, and then if you do get feedback, then go back to them and like, oh, you know, I do talk over people or I do interrupt or I do don't leave a lot of room for you. You have been really sweet and generous about that. So much so that I didn't even know. So, you know, narcissists can take the air out of the room, right? It becomes all about that. So in this case, it's like if you know that you kind of tend to pull energy towards you, then it's your responsibility to dole it out and to make sure everybody's getting their fair share of time and ask questions at a dinner table. You ask someone, ask the quiet person their opinion. Don't just tell everybody about your smart ideas and what you know. Like, yeah, that I love it. Help we, share the space. Because so often if you're struggling with narcissism, you tend to think you need to teach or coach. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. So if you, <laughs> if you tend to be the best coach at every smartest, dinner party yeah. mm-hmm. or the best advice giver, what Sue's saying is so important is to slow down and let other people in the room. And you know my favorite word. <laughs> and that is if you can't actually generate curiosity about other people's experience, and instead what you want is to express, feed everybody else's curiosity. You believe you're supposed to, everybody else wants your wisdom. Yeah, everyone's curious about me. (laughs) So let me uh, fulfill your desires and tell you all about me. So yeah, so the idea of like when I go to the dinner table tonight, right? Like, am I actually curious about everybody sitting around it? Because whether you fall on the side of seeking the attention or you fall on the side of not even being present enough to draw and hold your own emotional weight, that's non-relational. What we're wanting to do for all of us, the more relational we can be, and that means I exist, you exist, then the more deeply connected we're going to feel. Oh, totally. And that example reminds me, we haven't probably said enough just real quickly before we end around the covert. So that experience of being at the dinner table and sort of thinking, well, nobody wants to hear from me. And nobody's paying attention to me and I may as well not be here. That's kind of that small experience. And what Anna's saying is hold yourself. This is whole series. Hold on to yourself. If you have something to say, if you're upset because somebody's not asking you a question, find your need. You have a need to tell them something. You want to share about your thing that happened. And instead of like the trap of, oh, see, nobody cared. You know, nobody asked me my test results, my medical test results. Well, what that is, is a signal that you want to share your medical test results. So by all means, sweetie, do it, right? Like let people know like, hey, guess what, guys? 
my test was negative, I'm okay, whatever it is, you know, I'm not COVID positive. And then get the thing that you actually needed rather than creating the story. And so this holding your own, I think, in all of these examples, I think it is like, I like how you talk about it, Anne, about like holding your presence, existing, not existing to the detriment of anyone else, but also not letting other people exist to the detriment of you. Right. And to realize that you're sharing the space, right? That we both exist in that one moment. Because even with covert, it can be that I should be the center of attention and I'm not. And that's why I'm injured, right? Rather than actually by showing up and saying, I have a need to be seen, you're also recognizing that other people are there having their own experience and own lives and not just thinking about your test result, right? So there's this experience of, hey, you guys, I have something to share. And hey, how's things going for you? Right. Yeah, that's how to get out of that more narcissistic place for sure. So as we're wrapping up holding your own, think of it as throughout our series, well, actually throughout our podcast, it's really about deepening security, right? It's deepening security inside you, finding the green. So feel free to go back to episodes like 59, 60, 61 and talk about recognizing where you lean whether it's all the way over to narcissism or just some depth of blue. Right. And we're not collapsing narcissism and blue. No, no. We just, it's, it's, it's related, but they're independent. Just like somebody had asked, actually, a question came in is, does borderline always mean that you're disorganized? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Those are two separate things. And that, but there's a relationship. But there's a relationship to preoccupied. And then right. kind of as you get more and more preoccupied, it kind of flips into unresolved at times, if you have trauma, so uh, trauma or significant loss. So recognizing your own... We have kept them for so long. Okay, if anybody well, is still listening, I am so happy. And thank you for sticking with us because this is a particularly long episode. So wrapping into the find out, holding your own is really discover what your own internal working model is, how that impacts other people, and really working towards deepening the security inside yourself. That's right. Shoo. Our listeners do stick it out with us, and we really appreciate that. And if you haven't yet joined, you know, we've got a really active Facebook community. It's at Austin Shrinks. That's a free way to just pop in. There's even a private conversation. You know, there's a group under the group where that you can have more direct access to one another and to other listeners. And then if you want to jump up and get a little bit more involved, you can join us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Therapist Uncensored. It says that it starts at a $5 a month, even if you just have a dollar. If you don't have $5 a month, that's fine. Just anything like that will get you into the community, which we would love to have you. And one of the things about doing that is that it is this thing of giving to the community because when you help us, not just for what it does for us in our community, we get to spread this far and wide into communities and countries who don't have access, which is our primary goal of when we started this podcast, right? That's right. And we have a really wonderful international audience and hear from people from all over the world. And hello to all of you. We love picking up a voicemail. By the way, you can reach us on our contact page through SpeakPipe and you can leave us a direct voicemail. I absolutely guarantee you that we will hear it. Yeah, we and love listening we to those. most likely will return it. And yeah, we hear from people all over the world. It's wonderful. Also, just a quick plug, in order to stay ad-free, this is part of the patron thing. We're almost 100% ad-free. Probably where you're listening, you don't hear any. There's one 
where that we have just a few still, but the more patrons we get, the less that we have to do that. And particularly a plug for basically become a co-executive producer at $25 a month. You know, if you go to our website, you'll see that we will promote your own. If you have a website, your name will be on there. Well, thank you. You can get to meet with us and we would be happy to do that to get to know you. And we call you executive producers because we love hearing from... Yeah, you shape the show. Right, hearing your desires of what shows you would like to hear. So our executive producers get the primary ear on that because their support means so much to us. And you get some bling. (laughs) You love the bling. (laughs) Different levels get different bling. Okay, right. so I think that that thank you for doing this episode, this series. Yeah, this was an experiment, fun. and uh, we're going to go back to regularly program our regularly program schedule or whatever. <laughs> uh, so you'll begin to hear interviews and things like that again. That's all great. We've got Lori Gottlieb coming up, and Peggy Ornstein, and Peggy on, Ornstein, and Ellen on, Bader on couples. So all kinds of cool stuff. Stick with us, and please reach out and let us know what you thought of the series. And yeah, thanks right. for listening, and we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.